The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Mark Schaefer, author of Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. And you are listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, or just click the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Mark Schaefer back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the fifth time to talk about his latest book, Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company wins. Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized speaker, educator, business consultant, and author who blogs at businessesgrow.com, one of the top marketing blogs in the world and one of my very favorites. Mark has worked in global sales, PR, and marketing positions for more than 30 years now and provides consulting services now via his firm, Schaefer Marketing Solutions. And his clients range from successful startups to global brands such as Adidas, Johnson & Johnson, Dell, Pfizer, the U.S. Air Force, and the U.K. government. Mark's the author of six other best-selling marketing books, which are used as textbooks at more than 50 universities. They've been translated into 12 languages, and he is a faculty member at the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. He's also the co-host of The Marketing Companion, one of the top marketing podcasts on iTunes, and I have listened to every single episode of that podcast. Mark is also a regular news commentator and has appeared on many national television shows and in publications like the Wall Street Journal, Wired, New York Times, CNN, National Public Radio, CNBC, the BBC, CBS News, and the Marketing Book Podcast. He is a regular contributing columnist to the Harvard Business Review. And interesting fact, One of Mark's career highlights that will be of great interest to listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast, while earning his MBA, he studied under Peter Drucker, the father of modern management. Mark, congratulations on Marketing Rebellion, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. But it all pales, Duck. It pales in comparison to me being the first five-time guest on your show. That is really amazing. It is. It is. And I love it. I love it. There are several, uh, fewer than 10 authors who are members of the Marketing Book Podcast Three-Timers Club. There Mm. are no members now of the Marketing Book Podcast Four-Timers Club. It's it's wide open. You, sir, have pulled way ahead. You are the (sighs) first and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five-Timers Club. This, this is what I feel like right now. But you, when you go to Madison Square Gardens, they have these banners up in, in New York in the big entertainment center there about 
who has been in performing in that auditorium the most. And some have been there 20 times. Some have been there 30 times. Billy Joel has been there 100 times. I am the Billy Joel of the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Well earned. And you, of course, are wondering, well, what else comes with being a, a member of the Marketing Book Podcast? I have times? been wondering that. I've been losing sleep over it. Okay. Well, here it is. First off, you will get senior discounts at any of the two Knoxville area Denny's restaurants. Denny's. <laughs> Folks, that's like an inside joke on our Marketing Companion podcast. But thank you, Douglas. That's right. And uh, so you've always joked about having a, a big conference for the Marketing Companion. And Tom Webster, your co-host, he keeps calling it Companion Storm. Companion and, Storm. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I lost a lot of hotel deposits when I, you know, I made reservations there. And it turns out that... <laughs> It, it didn't actually happen, but that's not going to, I'm, I'm undeterred. So you do, get, and then you said, well, we're going to do it at a Denny's. And I thought, man, I am so all over that. I will be there. I am your all alpha right. audience, sir. That's a reference okay. to one of your other books. So awesome. But there's more, Mark. Of in, course there is. In celebration of you becoming the first and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club, let me just share a little something with you. I stalk you. I mean, I follow you on social media. <laughs> Uh, and I know that you've been on vacation uh, in recent years at Panama City Beach, Florida, I believe. On the I Gulf love of that Mexico. area. I you love do? that area. Yeah, Dustin. Yeah, Dustin, Panama City area is one of the, I think it's the finest beaches in the country. They are beautiful. Mm -hmm. They really are gorgeous. White sand, blue water. Well, you're probably wondering why they br I brought that up. So, Mark Schaefer. About 10 years ago, my brothers and I inherited a beach house there that our families had for, gosh, 50 years. And Mark Schaefer, you have just earned yourself a week there. Congratulations. Oh, that's crazy. Are you serious? I am absolutely serious. I want you to Dude. go down there. I'm, Dude, I, we will it, do it. It would make me very happy to know. In a heartbeat. You have been there. Now, there are a couple of restrictions, Mark, uh, and, and I'll just mention one, okay? Okay, all right. This is kind of the big one. You have to bring your lovely wife, Rebecca. And yes. Because I think we all owe her you know, a debt of gratitude. But, sure. But more importantly, I want you to have some adult supervision because I, <laughs> I do not want you trashing the place uh, like the rock star that you are. Uh, yeah, well, no, as long as they don't have green M&Ms there, I'll be fine. <laughs> okay, okay. And you can bring the kids. I think it sleeps 12, so. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. Actually, you know what? There's a link to it we're going to include uh, on the your episode show notes at marketingpodcast.com, okay. and I'll, I'll send it to you. A couple other... Well, that's amazing. Thank you. Well, you know, you worked hard on this book. You've been such a great supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast. You have been a guest on episode 417, 113, and 150. And here it is, episode 213. So enjoy it. It's been well deserved. Thank you, Douglas. That's very kind of you. So, Mark, I just want to start with one excerpt from the book, and mm. who knows where it's going to go from there. Okay. I've been waiting for this book for a long time, and uh, it's one of those books where my colleagues at work uh, can't shut me up. I'm bringing it in. <laughs> I'm quoting it. But you know what? Oh. They don't want me to shut up because they're sitting there uh, quite engaged. So it's, it's led to a lot of great discussions here at work. So let me just get started. Writing this book was alarming. A few years ago, I formulated an uncomfortable hypothesis. Marketers were becoming increasingly ineffective because they weren't keeping up with vast changes in the consumer world. There seemed to be a gap between the rapid pulse of the present culture and what my friends in marketing, advertising, and PR were delivering. So I dove in. After two years of research, I can assure you that it's not merely a gap. It's a freaking revolution. When I immersed myself in the latest research, I discovered developments and trends that overturned my view of what it means to be a marketer. Almost everything I've learned and believed for 30 years in business is being renegotiated or toppled. The truth was so disturbing, so unexpected, and so challenging that I wondered what would happen if I started to write about it. I had a feeling this would be a very loud wake-up call. Consumers are in control. The sales funnel is gone. Advertising is dying. Great marketing may anger people. Loyalty is a myth. 
The traditional CMO role is a thing of the past. Technology may be the enemy. Engagement doesn't matter. Our customers are the marketing department. Sort of bold. <laughs> and that's not all. It goes on. When, when you put it that way, it is sort, it's sort of a bold passage. I was ready to light a Molotov cocktail. Yeah. And again, the people in the office said, Douglas, let's, uh, let's rethink that. Uh, we are inside here and there's a fire code. But let's start with a story, a story about soap. Well, first, you know, I, I want to just say one thing to your to your listeners that the passage you were reading was from the introduction of the book, and it may seem really unsettling to you. And I want to assure you that when I had these realizations, which are all based on research, it was unsettling to me too. There literally was a moment. Am I allowed to say holy shit on your show? Oh, you know what? I was just going to say that. There's a page on here where I – it was a study I did not know about, and I, I'll take a picture of it and put it in the show notes. I wrote holy shit exclamation yeah. point next to it. I was and – I, and, and when I started immersing myself in the research, I, liter- I literally like lost my breath at, at one point when it, it, all of a sudden, Doug – there was like this lit runway ahead of me. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the book. And this is a very, very scary thing because this is going to challenge people in very weird ways. And there's going to be some backlash over this. But I mean, people have got to know and wake up and see where we are. So, um, so, so bear, bear with us. If you're feeling a little uncomfortable about those statements. Now the soap thing was actually, one, it was an epiphany. It truly was an epiphany to me. And I sort of had f- some playful fun in the book telling about this story of soap and how I grew up with ivory soap. But, um, but the point of the story is that many of our iconic traditional brands like Ivory or Pampers or Crest or Tide or Mr. Clean that that you know you and I grew up with have been in dramatic decline. And these are products that aren't being replaced by solar energy or artificial intelligence. They're not being outsourced to, you know, India. We still use soap. We still need diapers, right? But a lot of these traditional products have have been in rapid decline. And because the big advertising agencies have been so dependent on companies like Unilever and Procter and Gamble, they're in decline. And I teach at Rutgers University. We get a lot of people from the ad agencies in these grad classes and they're telling me, Mark, we're having wave after wave after wave of layoffs. And I'm just so all these like dots are coming together for me. And it's like, what the heck? How can you lose so much market share? What is going on? And my original hypothesis on on the book was that technology was really escaping us. It was moving so far ahead of us, we couldn't really catch up. And the the revolutionary idea, the epiphany, the lit runway for me was that it isn't the technology, it's the people, it's the customers. They've moved away, they've shifted. And so I had this story, uh, I was visiting... Uh, some young friends here in Knoxville and I went into their bathroom and they had soap there from a local Knoxville soap company. It was cucumber and grit soap. And I'm looking at this thinking, why didn't they buy ivory? I was just reading about this. So this was my bathroom. And you know, they must've paid more. 10 times more. Right. They paid 10 times more. And so I asked the young woman, I said, why did you buy this? These big brands have been advertising to you for your whole life. They've spent millions of dollars for a hundred years to sell ivory soap. Why do you love this brand? And she said, I don't know if I love the brand, but I love the hands that made it. And that was like just an epiphany to me. This light bulb went off. And that to me really exemplifies this third rebellion that we're in, this consumer rebellion that the consumers are in control because she went on to tell me how she loved this company and loved the people and they're creating a sustainable company and they treat their employees so well. 
And I just, she said, I just believe in them. And it's like, it didn't even really matter what they were selling. The meaning of these people, the purpose that they had instilled in her because of their vision for the company meant more than the product. She, the emotional connection was to a person, not to a product, to a cause, not to a product. And the other key point here is she's now so passionate. She's become the marketer. She's telling me about the soap, which is how our world is working today. It didn't work that way 20 years ago, 25 years ago. A brand was what somebody told you. A brand was what a company told you through an ad because that's the only way we had to communicate. But today, you've got social media and all these internet channels and people are sharing information and they're reviewing and they're, you know, talking, you know, they're looking at what all these influencers are doing. And most of the conversation, most of the marketing has moved away from us. Customers are making up their own mind. The brand today isn't what a company is telling you. It's what people are telling each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here we are just chunking it out thinking, oh, here we are, you know, uh, uh, this, 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 I posted some of these comments on LinkedIn and this old timer responded, marketing is marketing. As long as we have our ads and we control the messaging, we're going to be okay. And that's typical of what I see in companies all over the world. Those people are going to be obsolete in the next 10 years. Yeah. That's like they're sleepwalking They're Yeah. They're, they're asleep and they don't even know they're asleep. And so that's the big hope of my book is to say, look, here is a radical new vision of the world. And, here, and, and, I, and I'm, I don't leave it at that. I also give many, many ideas on how to address it and how to uh, – some, some tactics on, on what to do. And my hope is that you just, just – you have a realization that the world has changed and then make your own smart decisions about what to do, but at least know – what's going on. Don't be asleep. Make some uh, decisions about your company and your marketing with your eyes open. Right. And with an eye towards this sleepwalking, this marketing sleepwalking, let's go back a bit because I think that might help explain this this sort of hangover that the, 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 the marketing world still has. You mm-hmm. say that this revolt has been coming for more than 100 years. And we're at the beginning of the third and perhaps final a consumer rebellion. What were the yeah. first two? Well, I think it's it's really an important lesson because what I realized is that consumers have been battling against advertising and marketing for a hundred years, and they always win. Mm-hmm. So we have to listen now. We must listen because they're going to win. The first rebellion came. At the very dawn of the advertising business, and in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, advertising and marketing were sort of uh, intertwined. They were sort of considered the same thing, and advertising was creating remarkable promises. But as competition heated up, the promises became more and more remarkable until they were outright lies. There was a consumer revolt. In the 1920s and 1930s, legislation was passed to create the FDA and the FTC, and it made it a a crime to lie. It had never been a crime to lie to your customers before. Snake oil was, in fact, a real thing. thing. It was a real thing. Uh, And so that was the the end of the first rebellion. It was the end of lies. Now, the second rebellion was led by technology, and I found it was so fascinating that – The first television remote was invented in 1950 when TVs were just starting. There was a wire that went back to the end of the back of the TV that you could flip the channel when a commercial came on. At the dawn of this important revolutionary channel, consumers were already saying, I don't want it. I don't want that ad. But the real technological revolution came with the Internet. And, and, you know, you and I remember those days very, very well. And I have to tell you, as a business professional, it was terrifying to see the, the cataclysmic changes that were brought about 
because the information of the world was transferring from our file cabinets in our businesses to consumers. The, 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 the power moved from Madison Avenue to Main Street. And back, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, even in the early 90s when I was in business and marketing in my corporate job, you made money on the secrets. That's how you sold cars. That's how you sold insurance. That's how you sold vacations. That's how you sold almost everything. You made money on the secrets. Now, all the information is moving. Today, someone walking in to buy a car, they know more information about that car than the people selling it. So this was the second rebellion. It was the end of secrets. The consumers once again said, stop it. You know, stop lies. Stop these secrets. We are in control. And that is the third rebellion is that truly the customers are in control now. And this has been uh, a result of the, the fact that they're just hyper empowered now because they have so much information at their fingertips. We have Everybody has a smartphone in their pocket. Everybody has Wi-Fi. You can get instant access to comparisons and reviews. And how we discover products, how we share products, how we buy products has been completely revolutionized in a way that is almost separate from what our companies do. It's being increasingly disconnected from our traditional corporate marketing activities. There was a seminal study done by McKinsey in 2009 that showed two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And I remember when that study came out and kind of being bowled over. Did everyone hear that? That was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. We knew this. And then, so so I was like immersing myself in research. And it's like Accenture saying this and Deloitte is saying this. And I mean, this is take it to the bank research. McKinsey revisited this okay, study. Well, let's, sort of, let's talk about what they, yeah. they announced even then. Which was which was ignored about the two thirds and the one third. Well, two th- yeah, two thirds of, of our marketing is is occurring uh, without us. The customers are in control, and and the, the the stuff that we think that is working, the things that we're spending our lives doing as marketers, it's only impacting one third. Now let's rewind the tape a little bit back to these days when you and I were starting in marketing. What would that pie look like? It would be ninety percent. The companies are in control. Absolutely. That's why I earned a good living working on Madison Absol- Avenue in the That's 80s exactly and 90s. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I was in the middle of that. And yeah, I had to laugh, Mark. On page 28, you had this great graphic. It's my favorite one in the whole book. It's yeah. a pie chart, and it has you know something that represents two-thirds and one-third. And the top of it says, the marketing that works, and the smaller part that says, that represents one third of the of the one hundred percent is our stuff. Our stuff. The bigger <laughs> one is their stuff. Their stuff. Well, I like to keep things simple. It's more than that. I mean, re- McKinsey revisited this and updated this study. And, and that, this is the it, part where I wrote, "Holy shit!" in my book. Because yeah, it's holy because it's true. Ninety percent of categories showed no customer no, loyalty. No loyalty. And this is like you cannot ignore this. You cannot deny this. And here was the thing that literally f- made me fall out of my chair. So McKinsey studied, I think the number was 130 or like 135,000 customer journeys across all these different industries. And they concluded loyalty is over. It, this is what this was their conclusion. It's a waste of money to spend money on loyalty. It's, it's a waste of money to spend money on a sales funnel. Now, I've been in marketing my whole life, and I'm reading this. I'm thinking, this is what I do. Are you kidding me? And that's why I started to have this like panic attack thinking, are people going to be able to take this book? Are they really going to be able to face the truth? Or am I going to be just shot out of the air here uh, if I start really telling the truth? But And, and so – Everything in the book is backed up, backed up, backed up multiple times. Uh, That's with, why with, I was so depressed. Yeah, <laughs> it is depressing. Because you have a massive uh, endnote section. So I was actually, I actually have that page uh, kind of dog ear because I was going back through yeah. trying to find exactly which article or study you were talking about. And if, and, and if you can, if, well, if you consider that 
the uh, I don't know how many dozens and dozens of research citations I have there. That's probably a tenth of what I went through. Oh, this is only what you wrote about. Yeah, that's only what I wrote about. So, for example, if I see a study from McKinsey and Deloitte and Accenture, I'm not going to cite all three of them. I'm going to cite one. So, uh, but it, it's un- I mean, it's unanimous and undeniable that today we have to face the fact that the customer is in charge. The customer is our marketing department to a growing extent, and 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 we have to think about okay. Now, let's look. Have that little pie chart in our heads here for a minute. And and I'm not saying to stop doing what you're doing because one third of it is probably working, but two thirds of the sales today are coming from these human generated marketing activities. And the, the premise of the rest of the book, because what we've been talking about folks is the first chapter here. We haven't, we're not even off the first chapter yet. But I think we do have the listener's attention at this point, Mark. Yeah. The, the premise of the rest of the book is what, what do you do about it? H- how do you influence? How do you get invited to be in that two-thirds? Because you can't buy your way in anymore. Mm-hmm. You've got to be invited to this conversation. You've got to be invited to that two-thirds. Now, what does that look like? And that was, that was, the, that was the, the anguish I went through for two years <laughs> yeah. figuring that out. And that's why you need a, a little vacation. So, I you do. Know, on behalf of all the listeners, you know, we we, we want you to get better. <laughs> so Thank you can come you. back and write. So you can come back and be, uh, you know, the 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 uh, member of the uh, marketing book podcast Six Timers Club. Well, I but can't even think about that right now. Take a break. Take a break. I'm so exhausted from the last one. So, uh, Mark, let me ask you though. Before we go on, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that people can do. So, in other words, you 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 try to. It's almost like a scared straight sort of thing where you're mm-hmm. explaining what's going on for anyone that cares to, to, to know about it. I think there's a lot of people with their head in the sand. And yeah. it brings to mind for me bloodletting 250 years ago. Just a lot of people were doing that because they thought that's what they're supposed to be doing. Right. I mean, think about the people that finally brought about the end of bloodletting. I don't, it would be interesting to read about that. It'd probably make for a great marketing book. But what, that was some serious change. That had been done for thousands of years. It killed George yeah. Washington. Somewhere yeah. along the line, somebody said, yeah, maybe we should do this. So, But there are a couple things that you talk about that are really uh, making marketing so confused and, and ineffective. Mm. And I was wondering if we could just touch on those briefly. One of them is, is, you know, there's the technological change that's going on, but you also talk about the over-reliance on technology and automation. Can you talk about that second one? Well, I, I think that's, it, it's really the, the big overarching theme is that we have become addicted to technology and our focus has been on technology instead of people and what our customers really, what they want and what they desire and what they're, you know, they're asking us for. What they love. And, and you know, technology I, you know, I, I make a statement in the book that technology has become the em- enemy of great marketing, not because it's bad, but because it's so good. It's so cheap and it's so easy and we can build our MarTech stack and geek out on that. Mm-hmm. And when well, we, we have enter these, the cycle of annoyance that you Yeah, you we, we have the cycle of annoyance because now we're, we're, we've replaced our human voice with spam. Mm-hmm. We've and robocalls and piles of direct mail littering our mailboxes and 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 technology is is we're looking for this marketing easy button through technology and oh my gosh can you imagine we can send out a million emails for 9.99 and all we need is one customer and we'll make $100 for our 9.99. That's intoxicating. But guess what? You have spammed 999,000 people. Right. And you you've mentioned anno- uh, you've annoyed all those people. And you you quoted uh Seth Godin where you said you you, you talk about you just because you you can you can it's legal and yeah. you can do it. The fact is uh he said you're burning through trust. Yeah. And and another That's a great quote time, uh, like on my interview with him, he said, a lot of marketers are like people who are burning the wood handle on their hammer to keep warm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hammer then becomes useless. It's just... Yeah. 
It's sick. It's sick. Marketing oh. is sick right now. It yeah. really is. And I, I, I love the profession so much. And I want to come back and circle back on something here and also tell your listeners how, how you were involved in this directly. Because in the book, I, I sort of set the stage for the next part of the book that moves into, okay, what do we do mm-hmm. by reflecting on why I got into marketing. And it's because when I was a kid, Sitting in my junior year and my taking my first marketing class, I opened up this book by Dr. Philip Kotler. It's the book that almost everybody used in college called The Principles of Marketing. And in this book, Dr. Kotler said, marketing is a combination of psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Marketing is all things human, is what he was saying. Now, you know, I was 20 years old. That is the coolest career in the world. <laughs> A combination of psychology, sociology, anthropology. Are you kidding me? I'm all in. But today, we don't think about that. We don't think about marketing being all things human. We think about marketing being technology and automation. And you know, we're, we're thinking about how is AI going to impact us and virtual reality? How's that going to impact us? Why aren't we out talking to our customers getting out of our cubicles, getting out from behind those dashboards and Pareto charts and get out and talk to people and see what they really need. And the the most beautiful part of the whole book, I think, my favorite part is when I listened to your 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast with Dr. Kotler, my hero, he went on to talk about this um, – the thing that's sick with marketing today is this lack of authenticity, this lack of emotion, this lack of human connection. And that's exactly what he said 30 years ago or 35 years ago when I was in that class. It's exactly why I wanted to be in marketing. And here's this man, 87 years old, still telling us how to stay on the path. And it was it was a magical, magical moment. And I think it just tied it up so beautifully to say this, we know this is what we're supposed to do. And listen to this man. He's still telling us where we need to be. And we're sick and we're lost. Please read this book. <laughs> Please read me, me read Marketing Rebellion. Just to give yourself a chance to wake up and see what's really going on today. Yes, absolutely. Well, so what are like, I, we burned up a lot of our time here on the on the the things that just got my my gears grinding and my blood boiling, and I, I, I sometimes I feel like I am taking crazy pills. And I read your book, and I thought, yes, this, I, I'm not the only one <laughs> that was that was that was wondering about some yeah. of this. But what what are some of the things that uh, let's talk about some of the bigger topics uh, about adjusting to a world where you know consumers are doing most of our marketing as you talk. Talk about belonging, the importance of that. Well, sort of an image that I have in the book that I think a lot of people have been able to understand is that we don't have like this mass audience to advertise to anymore. Because of the internet, people have self-selected into these like-minded islands. It could be sports, could be art, it could be travel, it could be podcasts, right? Your listeners are self-selected island, right? And marketers are dying to get on these islands. If I could only sell something to this sports group or to this, you know, travel group, oh, I know I would be successful. But these people on the islands, they don't really want us there. On you know, so you, so if you're on an island and someone interrupts and says, "Well, I'm I want to sell you something," you'd say no. You'd say, "Look, if you want to be on the island, be our friend." Be part of it. You know, teach us something new. Help us to live a better life. And for heaven's sakes, stop interrupting us and showing up in on you know without an invitation. That's just rude. Who does that, right? Well, a lot of people, and that's why, sadly, we can't answer our phone at the office anymore. I never answer my phone unless we the, recognize it, uh, you know ninety five percent of the time it's a robocall. It's ridiculous. Yes. And so. So I, I walk people through the book on these constant human needs, these things that we know 
that aren't going to change, that we know are going to be reliable as we go forward. And one of those is this idea of belonging. We have uh, a, a, a belonging crisis in our world. We have unprecedented rates of isolation and depression and loneliness. Uh, again, just overwhelming data that despite this connectivity, instant and ubiquitous connectivity on the web, people are more lonely and isolated than ever. So that, so one way to think about this is, okay, is there a way business can address this? Is there a way businesses can help people belong? And I was sort of skeptical about that idea, but as I got into it, I thought, I found that, yes, there, there truly is a way that companies can help people belong. And not only that, our customers are like, they want to belong. Mm -hmm. They want to form an attachment to our company and our brand. There was a very clever bit of research I included in the book from Princeton that said um, people evaluate companies like they evaluate their friends. They said, is this company warm? Is this company competent? Just like you'd evaluate a potential friendship. And their conclusion was brands are people too. We really look at these companies sort of as like a friend, like a buddy, mm -hmm. and we want to be acknowledged. We want to belong. We want to know what's going on behind the scenes. And so many of our companies, too many of our companies are still broadcasting in a one-way channel without even thinking about how the companies want to be part of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that brings to mind just for me um, why I ride in Lyft instead of Uber. And I, I, I realized it probably had some, some conscious, subconscious reaction I was having mm. to things I'd heard about the founder of Uber. Yeah, right, right. That's exactly right. And that kind of moves to a different category, doesn't it? It's this, this idea of, of meaning. Yes. And values-based marketing. I think that's chapter six or maybe chapter seven. And I yeah. think it's- And, and meaning-centered marketing. Meanings. It, it's, it's one of the most important chapters of the book, I think. And I, I think I'm the first person to ever really codify some of these ideas and put it in a book because we see this happening all around us, right? We yeah. saw it happen with Nike and the Kaepernick thing. We saw it recently with Gillette and, you know, is the best the man can get sort of thing. And, and as a traditional marketer, you might be out there thinking, this is insane. Who has a job description that says marketing should make a big segment of your customers angry enough to burn your product in the streets? It just makes no sense until you look at the research. And the math. And the math, and the fascinating thing was, I was writing this chapter. I was immersed in this research when the whole Nike Kaepernick thing was exploding. And as that thing just revealed itself, I could see exactly what they were doing. I could see exactly why, and I could see what the end game was going to be. And, you know, so I could just kind of calmly look at this in an academic way. And so that's why I think this chapter is so important because this is just the beginning. And by the way, values-based marketing has been going on for at least 10 or 15 years. It's just ratcheting up. And here's why. We talked earlier in the episode here about how loyalty is in dramatic decline. However, if a customer if you can align with a customer's value set, they will be loyal. They will pay more. They will stand up for you. It's about the only thing left. So Nike was taking a very bold move and making a very bold statement and saying, this is what we stand for. And it kind of boxed Adidas into a corner because once you take that bold stand, you've taken it. No one else can take it. Well, it's everyone else would just be copying. It is copying. Mm -hmm. And here's something a lot of people don't know. Before uh, Nike did this deal with Kaepernick, Adidas was in negotiation with Kaepernick. <laughs> they were both going after this. And Kaepernick decided to go with Nike and it kind of, you know, blocked uh, Adidas out because Nike, 90% of their customers are males under 30 that can afford to buy $200 tennis shoes. 
It's kind of cut and dry. And they can see this is what the, this group of young, generally young men believe in. And this is what they stand for. And they said, look, if we, if we want to keep them, we've got this battle going on between, you know, there's Adidas colleges and Nike colleges. And, you know, the, you know if we want to kind of end that battle, we need to put a stake in the ground and show where we stand. Now, the bigger lesson for small companies or all of us in marketing is that before a company, before a person set, gives their loyalty to you, they want to see that you're loyal to them, that you're willing to take a stand and stand up for what they believe in. I also want to caution listeners that this is not for everyone. I've got, a, yeah. I've got a blog post coming out about this because mm-hmm. this, this was a very well thought out strategy. And I guarantee you Nike put millions of dollars of research into this before they ever took a stand like this. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not some whimsical idea because once you take a stand, you can't really take it back. And uh, it's not for everyone. There's a lot of stuff going on right now because you know everybody's piling on all the gurus are piling on right saying this is what you need to do it is not necessarily what you need to do you need to be aware of it you need to read about it in my book but don't believe people who say everybody needs to take a political stand it's not true Right. And actually, I should just add for the listener's benefit, there are so many stories like that of, of Nike and, and many, many others in the book where mm. you're – it's not like – for the listener, it's not like Mark was just dreaming this up. <laughs> there are lots of examples of companies that are doing – companies big and small that are mm-hmm. doing the different things that he outlines uh, in the book. And there are also uh, really very specific steps that you could be doing. Like you're you're explaining, look, this is what matters. Okay, there's a don't don't be distracted by all the noise. Mm-hmm. Focus on these things and and think about this and think about your customers. And that's the the, the last thing I wanted to talk about. And that is uh, related to your, your comments about. Uh, Martin Lindstrom, of whom you and I are both enormous fans. Yeah, he's my hero. Oh my goodness! And I, yeah. I can't stop talking about his book, Small Data, and about yeah, the one idea. Of my, yeah, it was one of the best marketing books in the last ten years. Absolutely, just and it was it was written in such a great way too. It was like mm-hmm. a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you talked about how he was giving a well. Here's the the long and the short of it is you've got to sit down with your customers and and you've got to just draw insights. And he talks about in that book, Small Data, about how there is there are companies that are now requiring every employee to go spend time with their customers at their homes or or for an extended period. Shut up about your product. Just see and and live with these people to get insights. And you, I was just again amazed in the book. You uh, talked about how he was giving a talk to like 5,000 people once, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he said, how many of you have, I I guess, I don't know. Sat down with a customer in the last year. Yeah. 19 people raised their hand. 19 people. Yeah. And, well, it reminds me, you mentioned my studies under, under Peter Drucker, and Professor Drucker used to say, that 75% of your meetings should be with your customer, mm. internal or external. I mean, if, if you're like an accounting person, maybe your customer is an internal person. But he said, you know, that is the lifeblood of the company. He said, if you go into a company as a consultant and, and everybody is just in meetings all the time with themselves, he said, it's a sign of a sick organization. It's a, it's a sign of a company that is afraid, they're afraid to empower people, they're not going to be in tune with the product and the customers, 75% of your discussions and your meetings should be with your customer. And I think that that's uh, even truer today. That also brought to mind, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review not too long ago about how uh, it was an- they analyzed all the schedules of all these CEOs. Mm. Mm. And they found I'll I'll try to find that article and put it in your episode show notes. But it was about they analyzed the schedules of all these CEOs and found that like only three percent were spending time with customers. Jeez, it was just it was just same 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 topic. Yeah, well, Mark, 
didn't do justice. We there's so much more we could talk. This is not a um, you know this is was this was uh, there were so many ideas in here, and I would encourage folks if there's only a few books they read this year and they they want to have a long and prosperous career as a marketer, they really should read this. And you know what? Uh, the salespeople might like it too. But Mark, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I think a good place to start in this new environment where the most human company wins. I think that's the goal is how do we become the most human company in our industry, in our niche? That's what's going to win. That's the killer app of the future. A good place to start is to reflect on your own business and your own marketing as a customer. What are the things you hate? Is your company doing that? If it is, stop. You got to just stop. Stop doing what people hate. Get out of your office. Find their unmet needs or their underserved needs. Find out what they love. Find out what you can do to help them make money, save money, have a happier life, a healthier life, a more entertaining life. Find out how you can help them and what they need. What are the constant human needs you can appeal to? And start thinking about yourself as one of those customers and what you would want to see out of your marketing if you were a customer. I think that's a good, a very simple and good place to start. Very well said. And you know, it just popped into my head something that Dr. Kotler said uh, in that uh, in that interview and, and in his book that we talked about, uh, is that in this age, uh, this digital age, um, he said, you know, the companies that even appear vulnerable are going to do better because mm. there's so little mm. of it and vulnerability. It's part of being human. Yes. The other thing, I think it was in that same quote, he said something about, it's okay to be wrong. Just be wrong. <laughs> he said, humans are wrong. You're going to have a lot more credibility in the trust and trust in the end if you just say you're wrong. Yeah, you just and, say, hey, we yeah. screwed up. Here's mm-hmm. why. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Boom. Yeah. You know, it brings yeah. to mind back for old timers like you and me. I'm joking. The Tylenol scare in the early 1980s, mm-hmm. yeah, where yeah, they yeah. completely owned up to it. It's a mm-hmm. great case study of, of mm-hmm. what you're just describing right there. Just say, hey, we screwed up. Here's what happened. Here's what we're going to do about it. And as I recall, uh, it, it strengthened their, band, their brand quite a bit and their sales right away. Yeah, because that was before the era when we were burning through trust. Today, we're burning through trust because we're not putting our customers first, and that's got to stop. Yeah. So- are there any recent or upcoming books that you've heard about or uh, recommend that perhaps maybe some of your friends have written? Well, you know, I, I actually was exposed to a lot of great books as I was doing research for um, my own book. But one in particular um, that had a big impact on me and that I would highly recommend is The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Mm. Uh, one is a researcher at Stanford, one is a researcher at, I believe, Wharton. And um, it's very good research that show that talks about customer experience uh, in this modern marketing world. So I, 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 I have a, a whole section about their book in my book. And it's, it shows how people are willing to forgive you know, potholes along the way. They're willing to forgive problems along the way if you delight them with these peak experiences, because that's what they remember about you. And that's the story they tell about you. The narrative is built on these peak experiences. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. It's a a very good book. Yes, as are all of their books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just go ahead and tell Amazon, just send me whatever the Heath brothers write. (laughs) <laughs> Same with uh, people like Daniel Pink and, and and many others. So, Mark, how best can listeners learn more about you and this newest book? Well, it's easy to find me. Um, I'm at businessesgrow.com. So you don't even have to remember my name or how to spell it. If you can remember businessesgrow.com, you can find my blog, my podcast, my books, and every way you can connect with me on social media. 
And there are bonuses that you are generously offering on your site. We'll include a link to that as well as your your homepage. And there's a video. There's all kinds of other materials. There's and a coloring. There's book. a coloring book. <laughs> Go the first one it. I've ever seen. So it's a first, uh, baby. Yeah, I haven't done anything all day. I've been working on the coloring book. So there you go. But uh, anyway, well, we'll include links to your site and the bonus page, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter handle, and uh, all the books that you've mentioned on this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And for you, dear listener, if you are listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote, page 281. The speed of change makes the future murky, but there's one certainty. Whatever the battle, the consumers will eventually win, as they always have. Mm -hmm. And we must follow their lead. Amen. The name of the book is Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. The author is Mark Schaefer. Mark, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 213 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Jay Akunzo to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Break the Wheel. Question best practices, hone your intuition, and do your best work. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.